Amen. Take out your Bible with me this morning and turn to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 1. We've been in a series the last number of weeks in considering the portrait of a healthy church. And this morning we're going to continue right in our series this morning, Titus chapter 1. And uh, as we open up God's word today, I'm reminded of what the prophet Isaiah said, that as the rain comes down and waters the earth, God says, so shall my word be. It shall go forth out of my mouth and it'll accomplish the purpose to which I send it. And so as we just look outside this morning to see the rain just pouring down, it's to me, it's a reminder that God's word will be proclaimed and that God's word is going forward and that God this morning would just cover us uh, in the washing of water by the word as we open up the scriptures together. And so uh, you've opened in your Bible to the book of Titus, uh, Titus chapter 1. I, I so love and enjoy my grandfather. I know I've talked to you a number of times about uh, who he is in my life and the important place that he has in my life. And uh, he has been a very close, not just a family member, but he's been a very close mentor and friend. And he very often will call me, and I've told you this before, he, he'll always ask about what I'm preaching for the week and that he's been praying for me. And uh, at the end of our phone call together, he'll kind of end it like this. He'll say, sick him. <laughs> and I always feel like, okay, I'll do my best, right? And uh, he's often reminded me, though, as, I, as he says that and I hear that, that as a pastor, that as we proclaim the word of God and we declare God's truth to people, my granddad often would say, Aaron, as you point your finger to declare to somebody the truth of God in their own life, don't forget that there are how many fingers pointing back at me? Three. And, uh, and, and I have, and so I, I'm very aware of that this morning as we turn to Titus chapter one and consider the qualifications for elders. As I've opened up my Bible this week and has prepared, it is in effect a kind of a challenge uh, to, share, to share something so authoritatively from the word of God that is also something that I sit under. I mean, and, and hear me when I say that, all, all, all of the Bible, we all sit under the word of God uh, together, but it, it would be as if for you in your own vocation, uh, getting together with a group of people and telling them how to do that job as a whole. You know, I think about Claude and he works in the heat and air business as a salesman. It'd be like Claude getting together with all the heat and air businessmen and telling them, this is the kind of person you should be in this business and this is how you do it well. You know, I think about those of you that are a nurse or a doctor. You think about going in and, and saying to the whole group of, of nursing staff, this is what you're supposed to do, and this is how you do it well. And, and I think if, if we're honest in that, when we go into those moments like that, we, none of us would want those moments to begin with. And then, and then knowing that, you know, um, uh, you, you as well are um, uh, somebody that is, uh, you certainly don't have all the answers on it. I doubt you would say that you're the exemplary model of, of what all of those things should look like. And so this morning, as I've opened up the passage here to Titus 1, I do so as a pastor who is um, following and living in according with the qualifications that God has laid out for us here. But as, as we consider it, though, from the stance of a church, because we would all understand this within anything in life, whether it's military or, or in sports or in organization, uh, the success of that operation often largely rides and falls on leadership. 
And I think we all understand that because we can point to situations where we saw a major breakdown in leadership and we saw the unnecessary devastation that it caused for the group. And so when we think about this morning, opening our Bibles to the book of Titus, we do so with an understanding that we're wanting to kind of continue in our series of understanding the portrait of a healthy church. And if you remember, you were with us for Vision Sunday this past year. I I shared with you something. I said this statement. I said, healthy churches are sustained by healthy leaders. And when we open up the New Testament, we discover that a properly ordered assembly of God's people is a group of people who are overseen and led by spiritual leaders. And it is certainly something that we discover here concerning the church of how a church should be when Paul is writing to Titus in how he is to set up and structure of the church of God. Paul, remember, is writing this letter to Titus under inspiration of the Spirit of God, and he is giving Titus some pastoral encouragement as a fellow trusted co-laborer and associate in the gospel. And as Paul refers to in verse 4, he says, my true child in a common faith. And we discover, as we considered last week, Paul's introduction to the letter, that he is not just writing this as a personal letter to Titus, but this is something that would be a public letter, for Titus was to have read it there in the churches in Crete. And notice we discover, if you look down at your Bible in verse 5, Paul gives Titus really the reason for why he's there. He says in verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Paul is saying a couple things. He's reminding Titus of the reason to why he's there, and he's giving him a twofold reason. One is to set things in order. What Paul is saying is there are things within the church in Crete and multiple churches. Remember, it's not just one church. It's a network of churches there on the island. And Paul says there are things in those churches that are needing to be straightened out. Paul says there are things that are needing to be put in order. And Paul said there is leadership in those churches that needs to be established. So would you stand with me this morning as we read, beginning in verse 5, down through verse 16. We're not going to be in all of those verses this morning, but I think it will help set the stage for what Paul is talking to Titus about, and I think you'll get a better picture of what this meant for Titus to help the church uh, set some things in order. So in verse 5, follow with me in your Bible as we read together. Verse 5, Paul says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what is what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. 
One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, and therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and to the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. If you're taking notes this morning, the topic, the thought for the morning is simply this, setting things in order. Setting things in order. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again, recognizing, Lord, that your spirit is our teacher. God, we together as a congregation this morning bow under the authority of your word. We ask, Lord, that you would teach us We ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand, Lord, the things that you have told us. And Father, we pray that this would be something that we would find application for both in our lives and, Lord, here in our corporate body. And so we're just asking, Lord, for you to do a work this morning that only you can do. Lord, you know my weakness in this. I pray for your help this morning, that, God, you would help me to be clear in communication. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You can be seated. we're talking about setting things in order. Paul's talking to Titus and telling him very clearly that there are some specific things within this network of the churches in Crete that are needing to be accomplished. The one was to set things in order, and the second was to establish elders. And so this morning, just very simply, if you're keeping notes, let me give you two headings that we will be looking at. We're just looking at simply two marks of a healthy church. Paul, in kind of giving us In the book of Titus, this portrait for a healthy church, Paul sets up the letter by talking about two important things that every New Testament church should have. The first is an established order. An established order. Paul says in verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. Someone has once said that moral compromise like doctrinal compromise, spells disaster for the church. And here in this passage, we find two important things that Titus is to do. We're we're, we're finding out his purpose, and he already knew this, but Paul is reminding him of it. There are two things that he is to set out to do in his mission there on the island of Crete. The first is to set in order the things that remain, And second, to appoint elders, Paul says, in every city as directed. That that phrase there in our Bibles, that you might put what remained into order. To put into order is a term that is used in the New Testament uh, that is often associated with medical terminology. It it was a medical term. Actually, the root word is the word ortho, which is this idea of to make straight. And, and it's from which we get many uh, words that we use in, in medical circles. We think about an orthodontist. What is he making straight? Teeth. And then we think about uh, orthopedics. And what are they making straight? 
bones and ligaments and all of these things. And so the idea that Paul has, this was a word in ancient times that would often be used of of setting a broken bone. It was the idea of straightening somebody's crooked limb or or taking their, I mean, they didn't really have a lot of orthodontic stuff back then, but I'm sure if they did, it would be this idea of straightening their teeth. Because why? Because, because it's out of order. It, it, it's, it, it's not the way it should be. And so notice, what do we discover about this? This is a term that Paul is telling Titus, look, Titus, there are some things in the network of churches there in Crete that are not in order. There is some order that needs to be established. There is order that needs to be created. And Titus very well understood his task. He understood that it would involve setting straight within those churches, not limbs and teeth. But what is Titus to set straight? He's to set straight doctrine. He is to set straight the truth of God's word. Titus is to both establish and set straight doctrine and practices in a local New Testament church because here in the island of Crete, it had become defective. We're not really told what had happened. More than likely, it was something that had started in infancy and lacked order. It lacked clarity. And so in the uh, disorganization and in the uh, confusing nature of something just being in infancy, it allowed false teachers, specifically from the Judaizers and other people, to creep into these house churches and to begin to teach what was not in accordance with sound doctrine. And so Titus goes, and his first primary task is to go into these churches and help them establish order. Now, can I just tell you, order is something that is very important. Order is something that is important even within the life of our church. You realize that in being a member of Catawba Valley Baptist, as we think about how we're structured, there is a lot of different things that we have here in this place to help provide order and clarity and direction and to be sound in doctrine as a church. Do you realize we have what's called a statement of faith? How many of you, that was brand new to you right now? All right, we have it. We have one. What is a statement of faith? It's, it, is, it, is a, it is a body of belief that we as a church have come together and affirmed to say this is what we clearly believe the Bible teaches regarding God, man, salvation, end times. It spells out a whole bunch of things. If you haven't taken a look at our statement of faith in a long time, I hope this week you'd go and read it. Why? Because it clearly is laying out the order by which our church will affirm doctrine. So the teaching of our church, whether it's from the pulpit on Sunday morning or from children's church and, and during, for the little wee ones, it all, all of it from, from, from mega to minor, it, it, it all should fall under the doctrinal teaching of our congregation. We affirm, and we affirm that with a number of other churches. We have a church covenant. So the statement of faith is what we believe as a body, as Catawba Valley Baptist Church. Our church covenant defines how we are to live and relate to one another within the body. We're to work for the unity in the body of Christ is a statement in our church covenant. We're we're to raise up as would be in our care 
uh, those in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. When you came into membership of our church and in our new members class, we clearly go through this. If you say, Pastor, I haven't been to a new members class in a long time, but what you're talking about seems new to me. I'd love to sit down with you. Because here's the thing. We together, as we function in an orderly way at Kitaba, we do so under the unifying doctrine of our statement of faith, which is based on the word of God. And secondly, we relate to one another in terms of our church covenant in how we have promised to one another in uniting in membership here at Catawba Valley. This is how we will relate and live and serve together in unity here. So we have a statement of faith. We have a church covenant. We have bylaws. You say, I don't see any bylaws in the New Testament. Right here. Put what remained into order. This is our order. We together as a local congregation have come together and formed these bylaws to say, this is how we will relate to one another in terms of electing leadership, in terms of how we vote and, and, and buy and purchase and do all of these things. Why? Because it's healthy for a church to have a clear, established order. We have organizational flow. We have process of communication. We have job descriptions. Why? Because all of those things are so that by God's grace, we might be the kind of church that he wants us to be. And we will not let or allow minor things to somehow disunify us. We will not allow small things to somehow sidetrack us in terms of the mission of the church, which is to glorify God by developing disciples who love God, love people, and influence the world with the hope of the gospel. That's why we're here. And we together are unified in that. Because that is our mission. Because it is a mission that is directly related to the heart of God. And so when Paul tells Titus to put things that remain into order, Paul is very clearly saying there are some things that need clarity. There are some things that need structure. There are some things that need to be put in place. And Titus, I don't want you to do it alone. And so that's why he tells them the second purpose of what he's to do. He is to put what remains in order. And then secondly, he is to point who? Say it louder. He is to point whom? He's to point elders. So we see, notice, the two marks of a healthy church is first an established order. But secondly, we see qualified leaders. Paul says at the end of verse 5, and there's this connection, and to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, I, some of this might be review for many of you. Some of this might be brand new to you this morning. Because I want you to think about this. This is important. This is important for our church. This is important for how we will be led. In the New Testament, the New Testament clearly recognizes two distinct offices within the local church. That of pastor, elder, and bishop, and that of deacon. And, and as a church, as we look at the New Testament we see these two offices clearly distinguished. And as we think about what, what Titus is declaring here, he, he's not referring to the office of a deacon here. He's referring to the second office, which is the office of a pastor, the office of an elder or the office of an overseer. All three of those words are used in the New Testament interchangeably to refer to the same office. There are three Greek words. I'll give them to you. You probably have a hard time writing them down. 
But the first word is the Greek word presbyteros. Presbyteros. It's the word from which we get uh, the word presbytery or or, or um, it, it's a word, the word presbyteros is a word that can, connotes a spiritual maturity. It's the word that is translated here for elder. And that what Paul is telling Titus is that in the early church, in this church network in Crete, there needs to be, it is a necessity that there is spiritually qualified leaders to lead. And he's using this word elder. Now, that's not the only word for that office in the Testament. There's actually two others. There's the word episkopos, which is often translated in our Bibles, um, overseer or bishop. This word doesn't refer to spiritual maturity. It refers to a spiritual authority. It refers to the function of what elders are to do, and that is they are to provide oversight for the church of God. They are to provide that rule and leadership within a church. But then thirdly, there's another New Testament word for the office of an elder, and that is the word pomean, or pomean, which is the, it is the word for shepherd, to be shepherd. And it defines the responsibilities of what an elder will do. They will be a shepherd, a caretaker of God's church. So when you take all three of those words that describe the same office and put them together, what you discover is that this word that Paul is referring, that what Titus needs in Crete is this. He needs men who possess a genuine spiritual maturity that exercise a God-given spiritual authority. And how are they to do that? With the specific responsibilities of being a shepherd. Would you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts? Acts chapter 20. We're going to turn to a couple places because together I want us to see this. Turn in your own Bible this morning. I'll listen as your pages are turning there. Acts chapter 20 and find verse 17. Y'all are quiet this morning. Acts chapter 20 verse 17. Y'all must be digital because I don't hear a lot of pages. Acts chapter 20 verse 17. Now, I don't have it overhead because I want you in your own Bible this morning. Acts chapter 20 verse 17. Now, from Miletus, Paul said, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Notice, Paul's calling for the elders. And when they come to him and came to him, he said to them, jump all the way down to verse 28. Notice what he describes to these elders. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves as elders and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's the second word, episkopos. They're to be overseers of the church of God. And notice, how are they to do that? Because in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Notice the third word. They're to care for. They're to be shepherds of the church of God, which he obtained and purchased with his own blood. You see right here in Acts chapter 20, we see all three of these terms, uh, presbyteros and episkopos and pomean, all referring to the same office of a pastor, of an elder. And notice in verse 28, answer this question. Who made them overseers? Who made them overseers? I don't hear you. Say it louder, Miss Tammy. The Holy Spirit. Turn to your neighbor and said, the Holy Spirit made them. Is the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a church. It wasn't an individual. It was the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit has called these to be overseers. The selection 
of elders and pastors, hear me very clearly, is the divine prerogative of the Holy Spirit of God. He calls them. He calls them. Notice verse 28. The Holy Spirit made you overseers. I think about my own life. Now this church led and worked and guiding to the Lord worked through vote of this church and a search committee to bring me here. And I know you've heard my story and I'm not going to tell my story again this morning. But I can tell you there was a very clear day in my life when I was in college sitting in a criminal justice 101 class thinking that my whole life I had wanted to be a canine police officer and I was being faithful to do what I had the desire to do. And in that class that day, the Spirit of God called me into the ministry. I remember sitting in class almost in tears because I was saying to myself, Lord, you don't want me to go into a vocation where I'm going to lock people up. You want me to go into a vocation where I'm going to set people free. I'm telling you, the conviction of God was so heavy on my heart that day. I was with all these big CJ guys and I'm almost breaking down in tears. And I get up out of the class and I go straight down to the registrar's office and I said to the registrar, I said, I need to change my major. He said, what do you want to change it to? I said, I don't know, Bible. I think God's calling me into the ministry. I remember walking home to my dorm that day, and I can't describe it to you, but an overwhelming sense of the peace of God, knowing that I have no clue what I just did. I didn't even have a clue what I was going to do. I mean, I went through all the seminary and, and college, not really knowing where I would be. But I can tell you definitively, clearly, that God called me. Because why? Because those who serve as elders, those who serve as overseers, those who serve as pastors in God's church are called by the Spirit of God. In Acts 16, we find that when Paul and Barnabas go out on their mission, we read something. Notice, the Spirit of God said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It wasn't the church that called him. It wasn't even Paul that called himself. It was the Spirit of God that set Paul and Barnabas aside for the task that he had for them. So what is the practice of the New Testament church? It is this, that it is only by the direction and call of the Spirit of God that is accompanied with prayer and fasting in the life of the church that the church appoints individuals or commissions individuals out of their church for service. So go back with me now to Titus chapter 1 and look at verse 5 and see clearly then what Paul is telling Titus. He says to him in verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained into order, and secondly, to appoint elders. So the question we ask as we look at the Bible is this, how do elders bring order to a church? Because that and is a connective. Paul is saying the order in a New Testament church will be in some way marked by the appointment of elders in that church and those things are created. So how do elders bring order to a church? Well, before we can answer that, we have to first and fundamentally answer the question, whose church is it? Whose church is it? Say it louder. Whose church is it? It's God's church. This is His church. This is not my church, not your church, it's his church. And Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of his sheep. 
He is the great shepherd who appoints under shepherds to do what? To exercise, provide leadership, to rule, to direct the church, but only by the Spirit of God. I appreciate how Alistair Begg words it. He says this, listen clearly. God has appointed some to be responsible for the leadership of others, while all are responsible to the leadership of Jesus through His Word. Read that again. God has appointed some to be responsible for the leadership of others, while all are responsible to the leadership of Jesus through His words. We were looking at this week in Psalm when David said, I have set the Lord always before me. What that means is we all are accountable to the leadership of God in our own life. And that as a church, corporately, we bow to the Word of God. We bow to the leading of God through His Word because, because we believe in the leadership of Jesus Christ and that He is the shepherd of His sheep. And so when we look at elders in the New Testament, we discover that the practice of, of these New Testament elders is this. Is the word in singular or plural form? Someone tell me, the word elder there. Is he talking about one or more than one? More than one. He's talking about a plurality of elders. Now look, you can take your Bible and go look at this and, and, I, and it'll bear it out. The, 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 the picture of the New Testament is this. A plurality of elders, a plurality of pastors for a single congregation. Some of us have come from backgrounds that we grew up in that only had one pastor for the church. Some of us actually were in a church for a period of time that didn't even have a pastor that didn't even have an elder. I'm just kind of curious as I kind of look over the room this morning, how many of you would say there was a time in my life where I have been in a church that for a period of time did not have a pastor or an elder? Can I see your hand? Okay, so there's a few of you. So we, we should say, well, wait, what about that? Like, is, what does the Bible say about that? Well, well, the Bible clearly in Acts 14 shows that a church can exist without a pastor. Paul went and he appointed elders and pastors. But a healthy church, hear me, a healthy church will have a plurality of elder, pastors, overseers. A healthy church will. You say, how come? Because eldership in a local church is extremely necessary. Because why? Because it's this responsibility as a whole that they would lead in the church of God. So those things are connected so how do an elders bring order to a church? They do so by exercising the rule and leadership as God's spirit directs. But here's the question, who appoints them? I found this interesting, this question this week, as we're right in this process right now of a pastoral search. Who appoints them? Because at first glance, when you're reading this, you might think that Titus was single-handedly responsible to go in all of these cities and appoint elders if somehow he was the guy that decided who all of these leaders in these churches would be. I mean, at first glance, that's kind of what maybe you would first tend to think, as if Titus is going to be this self-perpetuating leadership body and saying, okay, you four guys, and then you four guys are going to pick four more guys, and you four guys are going to pick four more guys, and it's just going to be this uh, self-perpetuating thing. Is that what the Bible is teaching us? Is that what's going on? Does the congregation have any input? What do you think? Yes or no? Is that because we live in America? Is it? 
We're like, we get to vote on everything in America, so we might as well vote on this too. Is that what we say? I'm just messing with you. Yes, the congregation does get a say. Let me take you to that. The last verse of Titus, listen to what Paul says. He finishes the letter and he says, Grace be with you all. Was this letter just to Titus? No. This wasn't a personal letter that Titus just stashed away somewhere. This was a personal letter that was also a public letter because as Titus was going to read it in the church, the church needs to know these qualifications. The church needs to recognize the qualifications, the biblical qualifications that God requires for those who serve in places of leadership within the church. If you question that, just look at your Bible. Book of Titus is in there. <laughs> so it wasn't for an individual. It was for all of us. It was so that the church of Jesus Christ might be well informed as to the requirements and qualifications for those who would serve in leadership. Someone has put it this way. The letter was written to Titus, but it was for the entire church. So can I ask you a question? How are we going to select leaders here? How are we going to appoint elders and pastors here? Do you know how we're going to do it? Right here. Right here. It's not left up to you and me to decide. God's told us. He's told us what He wants these elders to look like in His church so how did they appoint him? That's the question then, right? How did they appoint him? Turn with me to Acts 6. I know the time, but I want you with me this morning. Here we go. Acts 6. Buckle up. I will do my best. I know the time. Don't even look. Don't even look. You'll be so sad. Acts chapter 6. But guess what? It's just a flavor of Uganda this morning, all right? Richard's in Uganda. He's passing a little bit of it to us, okay? Acts chapter 6. I mean, I preached for two hours in Uganda, and they were still wanting me to keep preaching, all right? Acts 6, notice in verse 2, we discover there's a situation in the life of the church where the elders who are the leaders in the church in Jerusalem are going to need to appoint some leaders. And how are they going to do it? Notice in verse 2, and the 12, that's the apostles, they summon the full number. Who's the full number? Someone tell me. All of All of whom? <laughs> The twelve, the apostles, summoned the whole number. Who's the whole number? The church. They're calling the church together. And they're calling the faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And they said to them, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, they're calling out the church. Pick out from among you, among whom? Yeah, the church. Seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And notice, here's the word. And we will appoint to this duty. Do you see what's happening here? Those new deacons in the church were directly selected from within the church or by the church to be confirmed. Notice, notice, notice. Pick out among you seven men of good report. They're to pick them out. 
Notice whom we, the apostles said, will appoint. What do we discover? What does this mean? It means that the church selected them, but the apostles, the leaders, the elders in the church appointed them. The appointing that Titus is talking about here is at the end of a process. And I personally believe it includes the congregation. That's why when our men were chosen as deacons this year, they were selected, notice how, out of our body represented in the other deacons who were serving to be brought before the church for the church to weigh in on those men that would be serving them and confirming that. And then the elders or the leaders in the church appointed them. How many of you were at Dylan and and Eric's ordination service not too long ago? And then we appointed them to that task. The same is true happening right now in our pastoral selection committee. Out of our membership was selected five individuals who are responsible to provide and, and seek the direction of the leading of the Spirit of God to bring to our church who they believe God's spirit has called here. But notice the church is going to have an opportunity in that to weigh in and to vote and to confirm. And if God's spirit confirms that through the leading of his church, then our leaders will appoint them to that place. Wow. I had like four more pages of notes and I believe we're just going to pause here. We're going to press pause. I don't know if I've ever pressed pause in a sermon before, but we're going to press pause this morning. Because I don't want to rush through the qualifications that he is outlining. And so next week, we'll be there. If God's leading in that, we'll be there. But here's the thing. Here at Catawba, we want to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We want to be sensitive to God's leading in our congregation. So that why? So that we would be a church that is in order. A church that is healthy. And notice, a church that has biblically qualified leaders. Those things are important. Not because I said it. Because God said it. Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful. We're thankful, Lord, that we get the joy and privilege to be in your family. And Lord, we'll see next week that the very first qualification for a man in the church of God is how he leads his family because how he leads his family will be a great indication of how he will lead in the church of God. Lord, this morning, we as a congregation sit under the teaching of your word and in humility, Lord, under what you say. It is our desire, Lord, I believe. I believe those in this room have a desire that our church is in order and is led biblically. And, and God, we, we do want that. I pray you would help us, Lord, all to see the health and the value and the benefit that comes to a church when they simply follow what you have laid out. And so, God, I pray this morning that each one of us would examine our life between us and you. Lord, we pray that, Lord, we would not be filled with ourselves and miss out on the filling of your spirit, but I pray that, God, your spirit would fill every person here and that, God, together we would do what David says, and I will set the Lord 
always before me. God, help us to, with our minds, direct and redirect our thoughts to you. Help us know that you are the great shepherd of your church that is leading from out front. And God, we certainly, I remember what Dr. Mason said, Lord, certainly we do not want to run ahead of you. And Lord, we don't want to trail behind your leading here. And so, Lord, in just humbleness and humility, we ask, Lord, that we would all be sensitive to your leading in these days. Lord, help us to be faithful to our mission. Help us to remember that the reason for why we're so concerned about these two issues that Titus was concerned about for this church is because there is a mission, because there are souls of men and women that need to hear the gospel. Lord, keep us centered on our focus of what we need to be as a church in these days. Lord, don't let us get distracted. Lord, don't let us get sidelined. Lord, don't let us lose focus. But God, help us keep your mission first and foremost in this place. Lord, we need your help. We need your grace. We need to be people of grace and truth. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,